Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. Welcome to part two of my interview with Warwick. If you haven't had a chance to listen or watch part one, I would definitely do that first, or a lot of the references you're gonna hear in part two aren't gonna make sense. In this part of the interview, Warwick shares how he draws parallels between horsemanship and life in his clinics to help people make lasting changes, how Brene Brown has impacted his life, and what the four channels of awareness are and how they can impact your horsemanship. Also, similar to part one, Warwick mentions quite a few books and people and videos in this part. There will be links to all of those in the show notes so that you can learn more about them. I hope you love part two. You know, the thing I try to teach at clinics, I'm, 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 obviously I'm helping people with their horses and, mm-hmm. and I'm showing them certain techniques to do with their horses. But the things I tend to do, which is why my clinics are probably different than other people's, is I spend a lot of time drawing the parallels between horses and the things in life that we already know. Because training horses well, getting along with horses well, there's a set of universal principles at work here Mm -hmm. that apply everywhere else. And people tend not to do it when it comes to their horse. They think, oh, it's just, it's a horse. I can just do, no, it's not different. And now I have this little saying I call milk and eggs. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, okay, so in where you live in Washington, what's what's the grocery store you go to? Uh, Safeway. Safeway, okay. So do you ever write a shopping list? Mm-hmm. I have okay. one on the counter over there. Okay. Do you ever buy milk and eggs? I, I don't actually, <laughs> but I would. The, the, they're, sorry. You know, when I started doing this little story, everybody bought milk and eggs. And nowadays <laughs> they're all gluten-free and lactose intolerant. Right. And... But let's just say yes, it's let's on the say, list. Let's say yes. yes. So you've got this list, and at the top of it in capital letters, it says Safeway, underline, underline. The next thing down says milk. The next thing down says eggs. You go out to your car, and when you go to get in your car, you notice the left front tire's flat. And you go, oh, I probably should pump that up. And you look at your list, and you go, do I have any tire pumping in my list today? No, I've got Safeway, milk, eggs. Okay, I'm not going to pump that up. You're going <laughs> to jump in and drive to the store, aren't you? Oh, no, you're not. So good. No, you're not. Right. But people go, okay, I'm going to get my horse out. I'm going to walk him for five minutes. I'm going to try him for 10 minutes. I'm going to work on my left to right flying knee change. And while you're saddling him up, he's all, you know, bent out of shape about the neighbor's doing something or other. Instead of going, oh, my horse is not the horse I thought he was going to be today. I need to work on the horse that's in front of me right now. They go, oh, no, I've got a shopping list here. And it says, uh, left to right flying lead change after 20 minutes of warm-up. That's all it says. That's you know, you, so you, good. You don't do that in life. But, right. But people do it with their horses. But right. when you put it in that pers- you can tell them not to do that with their horse all day long. Right. But when you put it in that perspective, they kind of go, oh, okay. yeah. Why would I even, you know what I mean? So I've had so many people have had accidents on horses, um, some of them bad accidents. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to them about it afterwards, they go, yeah, well, you know what? I was in a hurry that day because my friend, I wanted to go, I was going to go trail riding with my friend. My friend was waiting. And I noticed my horse wasn't quite right, but I thought, they didn't worry about it because they were thinking about 
that I say, so you're, and some of these people have broken their backs, they've broken mm -hmm. their necks, they've broken their legs. And I said, mm -hmm. so you were more concerned about disappointing your friend over there than you were about keeping yourself safe. Right. Um, and that comes down to what I talked about before about being concerned about other people's opinions of it. Right. You know, what other people, something you're supposed to learn in life, and I'm still struggling with it. What other people think of you is none of your business. Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard one. But so many people right. I, I've talked to that had serious trial riding accidents, looking back, they go, Yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been going for a trial ride, but my friend was waiting. Right. Right. Which you like, if let's say you were gonna meet your friend, let's go with baseball, at the mm -hmm. Mariners game. Mm -hmm. And that you're gonna meet at the Mariners game and you're gonna tailgate. Okay. Mm -hmm. and you've got this plan to meet there and you go out in your car. And someone has stolen all four of your tyres or four of your wheels, your car's been jacked up. Mm -hmm. You don't go, oh, well, I won't go. I've got to get this fixed. Oh, no, I couldn't because I, I, my friend's waiting for me. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't right. do it any other time. Right. But for some reason, we make decisions around horses that end up getting us hurt. And then right. people would say, oh, horses are dangerous. Right. Right. You know, there's a really good book called Stealing Fire. You ever read Stealing Fire? No, I haven't. By a fellow named Stephen Kotler. He was the author of a book called The Rise of Superman, okay. um, about, which was about the flow state that extreme athletes get into. But the hmm. uh, Stealing Fire is about altered states of consciousness. So the, the, the subtitle of the book is um, How Silicon Valley Navy Seals and Rogue Entrepreneurs Are Changing the Way We Live and Work. Hmm. And it's about altered states of consciousness, whether you do it through uh, meditation, whether you do it through psychedelics, whether you do it through, you know, uh, base jumping, you know, like what uh, the whole book's about altered states of consciousness. But there's a really interesting um, passage in there where he tells the story about this lady in England who was a lawyer. No, sorry. Sorry. No. Different story. There was a, a man in England who was a psychiatrist. And he has a patient come and see him, and she is a upper middle class lady who has been barred from all the local pubs in the area for violent behaviour. You know, this oh. is like this is like working class problem, not upper middle class. And this mm -hmm. is working class male problem, not upper middle class lady problem. Right. And uh, turns out she's had a traumatic brain injury, so she snaps like she'll throw glasses at the bartender and glass ashtrays and all sorts of things. You know, but he found out that she'd had. Um, so this traumatic brain injury from a horse riding accident. So we started looking into horse riding accidents in England. Mm -hmm. And in England, one out of every, in the book it says, these are facts again, one out of every 300 horse riding experiences results in a serious injury or a head injury. So not even just one out of every 300 accidents, it's one out of every 300 experiences. Right. Wow. Because a lot of times in England, they ride, they've got nowhere to ride, they ride out on the roads. And the roads right. are very narrow and the cars come around the corner. And most of the time those horses are not prepared to be, I wouldn't ride around the round pen, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but anyway, so at the time was when MDMA, so ecstasy, was public enemy number one. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's the word, it's going to be the death of us all. And so not only was he a, a psychiatrist, but he was on the board that, has meetings to regulate what's legal and what's illegal as far as drugs and things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And he 
made a statement one time in public that like MDMA was public enemy number one and one in every 60,000 pills taken results in a serious injury or death. But horse riding, one in every 300 outings results in a serious injury or death. So he said ecstasy is actually 2,000% safer than riding a horse. Wow. And so his boss calls him in the office, the head of that thing, and in this book it said she's somewhere between the... Um, what do you, what's the US, the doctor general, what's he called? The surgeon general? Yeah. Somewhere between that, the, the secretary of state and the surgeon general. Basically, it's those two jobs combined in mm-hmm. the UK. Bring, brings him into the office and says, you cannot say that. You cannot say things like that. And he goes, well, why not? And she says, because you can't compare things that are legal with things that are illegal. And he goes, well, but why is it that illegal? And she, she says, because it's dangerous. Oh, that's so interesting. But horse riding is not illegal and it's 2,000% more dangerous than that. Right. Anyway, he ended up getting fired from the whole thing, but it was just a, it was a really interesting, it's just like the whole, you know, the milk and eggs thing. It's like these people that, you know, they, they end up saying, oh, horses are dangerous, horses are this, horses are that. But people tend to do things with horses that they, they wouldn't cut corners in any other part of their life like that. Right. They wouldn't drive their car down the freeway at 85 miles an hour with a flat tire. Right. They go, I've got a flat tire. I've got a. They wouldn't. They wouldn't ignore that. If you are cooking dinner and you pulled something out of the fridge and you smell it and it's rotten, mm-hmm. you don't just go, oh well, and throw it in the thing right. and give yourself food poisoning. Right. You know, they they they're, they're just. Yeah, there's something about horses that makes us go a bit cuckoo when it's, when it comes to, like I said, these are these are world principles. These are life principles. These are not horse principles, and that's absolutely. what I tend to do with it in the the clinics is, is get people to is is draw comparisons between between the two because that's when they get it. You can tell right. them a technique all day long, or don't do this, don't do that all day long. But if you draw a parallel to something else, yes. You know, it's, it's like one of the one of the things I'm really big about with getting along with horses is only asking yes questions. Mm. If your horse is saying no, you're asking the wrong question. Mm-hmm. And they kind of look at me like, and I said, anybody he married? Any of you ladies he married? And they mostly put up their hands up and they go, how many times did your husband propose to you? And they're like, once? And I'm like, yeah. And he probably knew he wanted to marry you a long time before that, but... Mm-hmm. He wasn't sure he was going to get a yes answer. Oh, By the time a good. man buys a ring and gets down on one knee, right, he's, he's pretty, pretty sure. sure he's going right. to get a yes answer. He's asked family members. Yes. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's done his homework. Right. Yeah. You don't ask that question unless you're not going to get a yes answer. And then they kind of like, oh. It's not right. that you can't ask that question. Right. You can't ask the question yet. Right. I was just going to say, it's when you ask the question. When that you is ask the really question. When good. They're, when they're ready for that. And it's just... You know, it's just things like that. And I read a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm doing a bit of a, you know, journey into my own inner work and I read a lot of different stuff. I don't, I don't read horse books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that I don't need to know more about horses and I don't need to know more techniques or whatever, but in the teaching space, the biggest thing I see people lacking from is a full understanding of the whys behind what they're doing, not yes. the technique of what they're doing, Yeah. the whys behind what they're doing, which means they don't apply things well because they don't understand 
the why behind it. Right. Or, or you tell them don't do something and they think, oh, that's just your opinion. But if I can relate it to everything else in life, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's right. That's why that's like that. Yeah. So I have, I have one more question for you and then um, we'll, we'll wrap it up because um, I know you have other things to do. Um, and, uh, but I really, this is so fascinating to me and I think people are going to dig it. Um, so Brene Brown is one of my personal heroes. I've been reading everything she puts out and listening to her podcast for, well, her podcast only been out a year, but I've been reading her stuff for a couple of years now. And, um, you know, it changed me and it, and it changed my horsemanship. And then I heard through someone else, they saw you at a horse expo in Washington, um, a few years back. And she came back and she was like, Oh, you got to check this guy out. He mentions Brene Brown too, just like you do. And so I thought that was really cool. Um, and so I'm curious what, how has she influenced you? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so much. <laughs> so, you know, you said earlier on about six years ago, I was talking about things that I don't know, people don't normally talk about or whatever, but about six years ago, seven years ago now, my wife bought a, a, a reigning horse. It was a very high level reigning horse, but we bought him cheap because he couldn't, he didn't show very well. Like, so what he could do and how it came across in the competition were not the same. And he, he used to spook at things and things like that. And at the time, you know, this comes back to that long Richie thing. At the time, I was doing clinics all around the world. You know, my YouTube channel had like 15 million views or something. Um, and basically, what I was doing was right because mm -hmm. it was work. Right. Like I, people bring horses to clinics and they leave better and people horses come in for training and leave better. Anyway, this horse, when I, I you know, I, I, I changed some things about him, like spooking things, I helped him with that, that's fine. But there was a level of underlying tension that he held that is what prevented him from scoring big when you competed because he, he, he just, what I realised now was he was shut down. Like he, mm -hmm. And um, so he kind of got me looking outside the space that I've been looking and looking at other things. And that's kind of really what got me on the path I'm on now. But um, I was at a horse expo in Madison, Wisconsin in 2017. Mm -hmm. And I met Barbara Schulte. Did you know Barbara Schulte is? The name is familiar, but. Barbara no. Schulte is one, the, the cutting maturity. She's in the Cowgirl Hall of Fame, but she's, okay. she's a big time mental coach. Okay. And I had heard of it for years and years and years, but I met her there. and. Her booth was not very far from ours. Anyway, sometimes most of the time at those horse expos, you have to go and work with a horse in front of a crowd, but sometimes you just do a stand-up talk in a lecture hall. Then I have this one that I do when I have to do that, and I call it Everything I Learned in Life I Learned from Horses. And it's mm -hmm. basically like life, kind of the stuff we're talking about here, life principles in relation to horses. But since I've done it the last time, some things had kind of changed. You know, I'd been looking into different things that I hadn't been looking into before. And so I went and did this thing. There's a couple of hundred people in the room. And I spat out some stuff in front of them that I probably haven't spat out to many people before, maybe mm -hmm. even to myself. Mm -hmm. It was just one of those moments. Anyway, I was walking back to the booth and I was walking past um, Barbara and she said, how'd the talk go? I said, oh, Barb, I feel like I'm exhausted. I feel like I've been run over by a truck. And she said, why is that? And I said, 
oh, I don't know, I kind of I kind of spat out some stuff that I maybe not have told anybody before and just told a room of 200 strangers. And she said, well, Brene Brown says that vulnerability is the ultimate badass or whatever. And I'm like, who? So I hear about this Brene Brown at this thing. So I come home and get some of the books. And so I'm out on the tractor, move them in Europe, whatever, got my noise cancelling headphones on. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, this lady's been inside my head. Yes. And then five minutes later, whoa, this lady's been inside my wife's head. It's a completely <laughs> different head than my head, you know. But then she says, uh, and this, is, this was after I'd figured out that the horse that I, we bought was shut down, but um, then she says, you cannot selectively suppress emotions. If you suppress the lower ones, you automatically suppress the higher ones. And I'm like, hmm, well, growing up in my generation, you don't, you know, boys don't cry, you know, it's not supposed to show fear. Um, in my family, we don't show grief. You know, I remember going to funerals with mum and dad and like, oh, well, he's dead, you know. Wow. Um, and I thought, well, I know that. I know the lower ones are suppressed, but I've never thought about the higher ones. Could I experience more joy, more happiness, whatever? And so that led me to um, a year of um, therapy. I went to a type of therapy called dialectical behavior therapy, which was originally started for wholly suicidal adults, but ended up, they use it for people with, any people with emotional regulation issues. And so mm -hmm. I did a year of individual and group therapy and didn't get anywhere mm -hmm. because apparently you actually have to have some emotions for that particular <laughs> modality to work. Um, but yeah, so she was the start of that. And then, so then I did EMDR and all sorts of other things. And then I, you know, went down the psychedelic route, I went to Florida and did a three-day ayahuasca ceremony, which was amazing. And I've done some energy healing with Native American shamans and, yeah, a lot of stuff. But Brene Brown was the start. And I listened to every one of her books. And my wife ended up actually went to her Dare to Lead thing. Oh, in, she did? Uh, yeah, in Austin. Oh, that Brene led? Brene led it, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, you know, on a similar level to the respect I have for what you're doing. I have the same for her. Like, I'm so grateful that she's as vulnerable as she is. I mean, she shares so much stuff, um, from a place of strength and, um, humility and humor. And I just, Every time I listen to her, I just feel like I'm so glad that she's in the world. And, and I'm so glad that, you know, she did that TED talk that she never thought anybody yeah. was going to see. Right. Uh, yeah. And it like pushed her out into the mainstream. And I mean, she had to make a choice, but you know, if, if anyone hasn't come across her yet, I would encourage people to check her out. Cause she, she kind of has something for everybody. Like you said, she was in my head and then I realized she's in my wife's head. Mm. Um, she's just studied people. She understands the human condition. Yeah. yeah. So if you haven't heard of it, go to uh, YouTube and look up a TED talk called The Power of Vulnerability. Yes. You can thank us later. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Because you, yeah. you cannot watch, unless you're some sort of a sociopath, you cannot watch that and not look at the world slightly differently. Yeah. You know, and there's something she says in one of her books where she talks about how um, she used to only help girls and women. Yes. And then she had a bit of a, a chance meeting with a, with a guy at a book signing or something or other, and all of a sudden she realised if we're doing nothing for men and boys, we're doing nothing for girls and women because, yes. you know, 
if men and boys are messed up, that projects onto every female that they come in contact with. And right. I kind of have a, the same, I've stolen Bruno's um, saying and turned it around a bit, which is why I'm really big on like at clinics and stuff, having people think about their stuff. Because I, the saying I've turned it into, if we're doing nothing for the human's mental health, we're doing nothing for the horse's mental health. Oh, that's so great. That's and so the, great. It all comes down to the horse's mental health. I mean, every problem people have with horses is from some sort of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And if you can get those horses to be, you know, get their nervous systems regulated to where they work like they're supposed to, horses are easy. Yeah. Yeah. When you get that. But most people are working with a horse that has some sort of a dysregulated nervous system and they want to fix the symptom of the dysregulated nervous system rather than, right. you know, spend the time to, to fix the dysregulated nervous system. But And here's the full circle thing is in order to help a horse with a dysregulated nervous system, first yours has to be regulated. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, you see the meme floating around Facebook, you, you know, a, a, um, it's not excited. The word is not excited. The word is emotional. It's emotionally charged, but it's not those two words. It's one word. Mm-hmm. But an emotionally charged adult cannot help an emotionally charged child. Yes. And it's kind of the same thing. An emotionally charged human cannot help an emotionally charged horse. So you've got yeah. to get to where you are. You know, something I've been doing at clinics for a while that works really, really well. If there is someone who, you know, on the ground with the horse, they cannot be in their own body around their horse. They're in defense mode and, mm-hmm. and, and the horse is not such a horse that you could, you could get that sorted with the horse right there. Right, they're not going to fill in. Yeah, they're not going to fill in. Um, I will bring in four 12-foot panels. I'll make a 12-foot pan in the middle of the arena, put the horse inside it and thread the lead rope out through the fence. Mm -hmm. And their job is to just stand there and hold the lead rope and do not let anything the horse does influence you. If it Mm -hmm. digs a hole in the ground, don't be happy, don't be sad, don't tell them to stop. And it's profound the change that happens in people. Yeah. When they get to stand there for two hours with their horse and not because initially they will they will have you know the horse will be doing something and they'll want to come over and play with his nose to the fence like no no don't touch it right you've got to get to where before you're allowed to do something you've got to get to where you're doing nothing oh my gosh not just physically but mentally like you know a horse will be poor on the ground and I'll see the person kind of looking at their foot and I say what are you thinking they go nothing I said are you thinking I wish he wasn't doing that like (laughs) oh yeah I was well that that's an energy right you cannot have that energy you've got to get your energy to where it's zero you are in your own body we have a good friend of ours who lives not far from here who's an equine assistant therapist and she has these things called the four awareness channels when you're having any interaction with another sentient being Mm -hmm. the four awareness channels are number one what's going on with me number two what's going on with you number three is what's going on in this energetic exchange between the two of us mm-hmm. and then number four what's going on in the environment and most mm-hmm. people that are having trouble with their horses are very aware of number two and number four yes what my bloody horse is doing and what in the environment is causing it to happen right and they're not aware at all of number one what's going on with me and number three what's going on between the two of us because yes we don't know what's going on between the two of us because i don't even know what's going on with me right and so the first step is getting them to where they're in their own body. 
Oh, that's so good. Because it's horses so read that stuff so much. And, and I had a horse at a clinic in Kanab, Utah, here a little while ago, and this horse was just trying to chomp this lady to death and and she just she just couldn't be any sort of relaxed around him. So I put him in the pen and had her hold the lead rope. And and uh, what I do a lot when horses want to nip and bite is I actually engage with him now. You know, I mm-hmm. let him put them out here and they can do this. And you just basically got to keep your hand between you and them. Then you can't mm-hmm. get bit. And what I've been doing it with a lot of horses for a long time, and that eventually goes away. But what you've got to be, and I used to think they wanted to engage with us. Mm-hmm. That's why they were doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because after a while they stop. But then they do it again. And like every time you're around them, you have to be very, very present to, to mm-hmm. that. It's like it's like someone throwing your ball at any time. Gotta be prepared to catch that ball. Mm-hmm. But we've got a couple of horses here that were really bad about it. But after about maybe six months of being aware of that every time I was around them and, and meeting that need every time I was around them, it went away and they don't do it anymore. And I mm. used to think they wanted to engage with us, but I've got a new theory now. I think they're testing to see if we're present. And if they can test you enough times for long enough and every time you meet them and you're present, they stop asking the question. Like, okay, you're on the, you're on the present list. I, I, I don't need to teach to test you anymore. Right. And I'm not sure if they know we're present or they've taught us to remain present and they're aware of that. I'm not sure which one it mm-hmm. is. But anyway, so this, um, so I took the lady into the, to the, I put the horse in the thing and had to stand there. And I said, you're going to have some thoughts about I paid all this money to come all this way to do this thing and he's just going to make me stand here. <laughs> That's perfectly fine by me. Mm-hmm. And so after probably an hour or so, that horse really started to settle down and she looked a lot more relaxed around the horse. And I said, so what I want you to do now is step closer to the fence and he's going to want to engage with you through the fence. And so now I want you to engage with him like you were trying to do right there. But before when she was engaging with him, just kind of, her body was kind of shrinking backwards and inviting him forward. So we got that bit sorted to where she can engage with him and not feel the need to shrink back when he was going with his lips and his teeth. That was the end of that session. Brought him in the next day, did half an hour of that, did a little bit of that with the teeth, brought him out, and he's standing there, she's standing there. He's not trying to bite her. And the day before, he was like an alligator. And there was zero correction made to the horse. Like he's the sort of horse that a lot of people would slap around. Like this horse is trying to bite me. He's, Absolutely. He's being a, an asshole. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. This horse is being bad. There was zero correction made to the horse but the picture between the two of them was completely different and i just got an email from the other day and she said he's he's there's only been one day since where he was nippy and that was two months ago that's so interesting and so once you really start to understand how much of their behavior is caused by our behavior then you i mean that's my big focus these days especially on the ground is um making sure people are aware of number one what mm-hmm. what's going on with me mm-hmm. you know make sure you're not telling yourself stories about the horse mm-hmm. or, you, or yourself right you know a lot of people have oh i'm not good enough i can't do this mm-hmm. you know and that's that you know you talked about Brene brown and vulnerability stuff i went to a a men's emotional resilience retreat here a couple of years ago so there was eight of us there um everything ranging from a a filmmaker who was, I wouldn't say he's on the effeminate side, I'd say he's on the very sensitive side, mm-hmm. to a guy there who used to be a, a hostage negotiator for the UN hmm. and everybody in between. Mm-hmm. And, and this, it was an amazing weekend. Like they really got to the guts of the whole thing. But when everybody broke, got all the walls broken down, 
every single one of them was, I'm not enough. And we needed to believe that we were enough. Hmm. Everybody has it. Yeah, and absolutely. a lot of times you don't even know you have it until right. you get poked and prodded. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's so fascinating. Um, I am really excited for the people that are coming to your clinic this weekend. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be it's, fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. And hopefully if, you know, whoever is watching and listening to this, if you're nearby, come. There's lots of lodging. It's a great arena that you're going to be at. So and it's a Tacoma um, unit, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I am so grateful. This has been a ton of fun. And uh, I, I, I'm just I'm grateful for you and I'm, I'm really glad that you're doing what you're doing. Um, I think you're bringing um, a way of looking at horsemanship that is not necessarily in the mainstream um, right now. And uh, I think it's a really important thing for people to be considering, so. You know what? The funny thing is, it's not, it's not maybe it's not mainstream, but more people are open to it. And it's, it's what I get a lot of is I've been looking for this. So it's not that it's not mainstreaming people's minds. It's not like it's it's because most people have horses. They want to have a relationship with their horse. Yeah. And most times, you know, they get help from trainers and trainers are telling them how to make this damn horse behave sort of a thing. And, I, you know, I, yeah, I think most people are looking for a bit more of, of this for their horse, but the, the thing about this is, if you if you you know, when you're going down this path, is it all starts in here? You, yeah. You you um you have to make some changes about yourself in order to get the stuff to work. And I think right. that's the that's the that's the cool part. It is. It's a really cool part, but it's also not the easy path. And I think you know, there's lots of people that are like, you know, I'd really rather have it be about my horse. Can we just stick on that? And um, there's 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 places for there's places for everybody, you know. Yes. Like as far as there's plenty of people out there can help you with your horse. And and for a long time, I helped people with their with their horses. Yeah. But like I said, I there was a certain part of the population I couldn't help. And now I realize why I couldn't help them because I was it it wasn't what they were doing was the problem. It was all the internal stuff. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't just them because everybody mm -hmm. else, including me, does all that stuff. Oh. The, the thing is just so much different you know yeah doing horse expos you know they people have a horse and it's running around on the lead rope and I say hand it here and I used to take a hold of that horse and do something with the horse to get them better but since you know well, it's been a number of years now but after the Brene Brown uh, book and you know therapy and all that sort of stuff it's almost like people will hand me the lead rope of an uptight horse and it's almost like they just kind of have melt when you take out the lead rope and it's mm -hmm. the first time it happened was at a horse expo in new zealand and i said do you guys see what just happened then i want to talk about what just happened i didn't just do something i didn't like oh i've got this zen mental thing and i projected this you know i didn't you didn't see me do anything physically but i didn't mm -hmm. do anything mentally as in it wasn't like i've got this zen mind trick where i do something mm -hmm. i said i don't know what happened then but i can tell you what i think has changed because that didn't used to happen and what's changed is now I'm less judgmental. Now I meditate. Now I'm, mm -hmm. And I, I said, I think that changes your energy. But that's not, that, that's not, you know, when I got hold of that lead rope, I didn't have this, you know, Buddhist monk uh, 
Shaolin warrior mental, you know, I've seen a video of a, of a, of a Shaolin monk go in with a buffalo and him to lay down mm-hmm. with some sort of projecting. Some sort, I wasn't projecting anything mm-hmm. that I wasn't projecting before I took the hold of the horse. It wasn't mm-hmm. like I was war, you know yeah, what I mean? It right. Wasn't the, it, wasn't, it wasn't crocodile Dundee, you know, right, laying right. thing down. And I said, and that, I said it didn't used to happen. And so, and then I then I talk about you know the different things I've been doing that I didn't do them because so that would happen. You right. Know, right. I wasn't. I was. I was. It was karma yoga. I was focused mm-hmm. on a task, but never yeah. thought it was the outcome of the task. I didn't even know that was going to be the outcome of the task, really. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been, it's made a huge difference. Yeah, that's that's so that's so cool. So, how do people find out more about you? Um, well, I have a I have a YouTube channel where I pronounce my name correctly. Uh-huh, good. The start of every one of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that's that's if you just put my name into YouTube, it should pop up. Um, I have a Facebook group, I have a Facebook page, and that's Warwick Schiller's Tune Performance. I'm a, a tuned horsemanship, I think. And then we have a website, www.warwickschiller.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has just been delightful. It's been and fun. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you. You ask all the right questions. Oh, good. (laughs) Thank you. I'm almost one year into doing this podcast, which is hard to believe. It's allowed me to bring a variety of horsemen and women to you who I know personally. This interview has given me the confidence to reach out to more people on the list that I don't know yet. I came across this quote the other day that sums up how I feel about reaching out to do this interview with Warwick. In the end, we only regret the chances we didn't take. Thank you for being a part of this. If you aren't already a part of a Learner's Journey Facebook group, we would love to have you join us and make sure to follow or subscribe to this podcast so you hear about future episodes. Have a wonderful rest of your day.